use that good worship time this morning. Thank you so much, Jeff and the musicians. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, as we move through our study in the book of Revelation, we come this morning uh, to what I've entitled the final destruction of false religion in the world, the final destruction of false religion. Chapters 17 and 18 are another uh, parenthetical. Now, you'll remember as we move through the book of Revelation, one of the things that, that often confuses folks when they read the book is uh, God will begin to reveal a, a chronology of events, in other words, the order of events in Revelation, and then all of a sudden the chronology will stop and there will be these parentheticals. And, and a parenthetical is simply where God pauses in the order of events and fills in detail, fills in information for us to know about the tribulation and about what he's doing. Uh, and that's what chapter 17 and 18 are. Chapter 17 is a pause in the chronology because you'll remember at the end of chapter 16, we had the seventh bowl judgment, which in, in chronological sequence, the very next thing that happens is Jesus comes back, battle of Armageddon, and then the kingdom begins. But before that description, God takes, 17 and 18 that he gave to John and him one and 17 what's going to happen to the false religion in the world all the false religions in the world and how is God going to deal with that final apex of false religion in the in the tribulation and in chapter 18 is a detailed description of the destruction of the kingdom of Antichrist so we have the destruction of of the false religion that supports Antichrist and then in chapter 18 we have the account of God destroying his kingdom, the economic power and the military power and those things that will make him all he is during the tribulation. So, again, don't get confused about the fact that we were dealing with the bold judgments last week and now all of a sudden we're talking about uh, the false religions because uh, we'll pick up the chronology again uh, really in chapter 19. So, false religion, where did false religions come from? Now, how would you define false religion? How would one define that? Well, false religion is anything... That is uh, not what God reveals, the true and living God. Uh, the worship of anything that's not God. The worship of anything other than God. That's a false religion. That's paganism. Um, false religion doesn't always entail uh, an idol on the mantle. You know, like you say, well, I'm not a, we don't have false religion today because I don't have idols in my house. Well, we really do have idols. Now, there are many idols in the world. There's the idol of money, the idol of fame. The idol of reputation, the idol of position, of leadership, of authority, of power, of self-esteem, self-prestige. There's a lot of idols in the world. Sports can be an idol. Recreation can be an idol. I know people who like to hunt, and it becomes an idol. I know people who like to fish, it becomes an idol. I know people who like to golf, and it becomes an idol. Pick one. If, if anything we allow in our lives that comes before God, then that thing has become an idol in our life, and we actually give it more attention and more worship than we do God. False religion in the world, though, began right after the flood. In fact, you'll remember the flood took place and Noah, Shemham, and Jepheth, his boys, they come out and God begins to bless them and populate the world again. Two generations, Noah's great-grandson named Nimrod became a mighty man, the Bible says. And he led a group of people east to a place called Shinar, which is where the city of Babylon was founded. And he built himself a city, and he openly rebelled against God. Now think about that for a minute. God just flooded the world, 
his grandfather, no doubt, who was Noah, told him, hey, we came here on a boat, you know, a wooden ark. God flooded the world, and, and all that was left was your grandmama and me and, uh, you know, and, and the boys, and, and God judged the world for sin. Just two generations later, Nimrod chooses to rebel against God. He moves a group of people to Shinar, builds a city, which would later become Babylon, and begins to build a tower up to the heavens. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11. You think, well, what was the idea of his rebellion? Why is he building this tower? Well, later those things became known as, as ziggurats. And what they would do is build a tower, and uh, priests would go up on top of that thing and read the stars and do all kinds of mystical stuff and, and begin to foretell the future through the stars and mysticism. And it was an open rebellion by this man and those who followed him, an open rebellion against God, Thus, you read many times, and you will read here in the book of Revelation, that God will refer to that city Babylon and that place of paganism and that place of false religion because that's where it began. Now, you read the story in Genesis 11, Genesis chapter 11, and at that point, everybody in the world had one language, and so they were all of one accord. And you remember God came down, confused their language, and scattered them around the world. But when they scattered around the world, what did they take with them? their hard, rebellious hearts. And thus the world was spread over with people who began to worship other things than God, uh, and false religion was spread around the world, those who would resist God. Now the apex of world religion, if you will, world false religions, will be reached in the tribulation. In other words, Antichrist will grasp upon this idea of religion and use the false prophet in a, in a pagan worship system to unite the world in religion like nobody else has been able to do. Um, it has been said by those who purport communism and atheism that religion is an opiate of the people. In other words, it's a deception, it's a drug. Well, in many ways that can be true when it's wrongly used because people will buy into a religious system before they'll buy into anything else. And what Antichrist is going to do is, is see the power behind religion and he's going to use a false religious system to unite the world to follow him. And then at some point, probably the midpoint of the tribulation, he will declare himself to be God. God's saying here in chapter 17 that he's going to destroy that system, that he's going to judge it. So that's the context. That's what God's saying here. So let's pick it up in verses 1 and 2 as God describes how he's going to destroy this world system. Now John says here, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, when you first read that, um, you think, <clears throat> that doesn't look like false religion. Well, sure it does. The, the harlot is an analogy here of false religion. It's not a person. We understand that. The angel comes to John and says, hey, come here, let me show you something. Uh, one of the angels had seven bowls. And so John goes and he shows him. And John sees this, this harlot sitting on many waters. And what God's going to do is say, I'm going to judge this harlot. Now, why did God use this analogy of a harlot to talk about false religion? Well, think about it for a moment. It really has a lot of parallels. I mean, I wrote down a list here of things where I think it, it fits perfectly and, uh, and I'll share a few of them with them. Uh, number one, a harlot uh, dresses uh, flamboyant, is ostentatious, wants people to see 
her, uh, potential customers to see her, so to say. Well, false religion is very outwardly attractive. False religion is very attractive to the masses. It's very attractive to, to just people who pass by. In fact, false religion reaches out and grabs people. One of the things I'm always concerned about here is, is uh, we lead somebody to Jesus. I don't, want, I don't want some other group of people coming in and trying to snatch them away and trying to, to uh, lead them astray. Uh, it's happened here before. We had a, a, a young lady and her, her, her brothers and sisters come here and they didn't speak English very well. And we shared the gospel with them and they were saved and they came here for a while. And then a little while later, I got a letter from them saying that they had become uh, some other faith, some, some false religion had gone in and convinced them to walk away. And see, so, so false religion has this outward attractiveness to it. The people are drawn to it. And God said, such as a harlot. Secondly, uh, a harlot in, in her makeup promises uh, fulfillment and happiness and, and all the things that appeal to the flesh. Well, many times false religion uses the same tactics. It appeals outwardly to the flesh and to humanness in us, and, and it's attractive to us. I'll tell you the thing that most false religions attract us to is the fact that it says, hey, you can better yourself. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can, you can take care of what's wrong with you, and we can help you. We have a system, but we know in Jesus Christ we can't save ourselves. God had to save us. But false religion will draw to the flesh, see? And, and hey, false religion promises, promises results here and now solutions right now okay you can be satisfied right now you can have what you want right now okay kind of looks like the health wealth and fame gospel doesn't it you can have all that you want right now and that's what she's promising hey it appeals to the appetites of the flesh many churches today now listen to me and i'm not trying to be critical many churches for the sake of reaching numbers has begun to appeal in many ways to the flesh well that's a tactic of false religion you see, hey, we're going, to fit, we're going to do a survey and figure out what it is people want, and then we're going to give it to them. I don't find that in the Bible. Okay? You know what I find in the Bible? That when we speak the truth, people are going to get mad at us. When we speak the truth, they're not going to like us. Okay? When they speak the truth, they're going to be offended because, listen, the gospel's a, a, a sharp knife, right? A two-edged sword that cuts and divides asunder to the soul of heart and man. And I don't like being cut on. How about you? I mean, I, I don't like it when God starts operating on my heart. It makes me uncomfortable. So the harlot, though, says, man, we're going to appeal to the flesh. We're going to appeal to what people want, and we're going to get them to come. And Antichrist is going to capitalize on that. Listen, Antichrist is going to be smart, intelligent. He's going to be demonically influenced and, and maybe even possessed. And he's going to know, hey, if I can get everybody to buy into this religious system, I got them. Hey, another thing that, that we think about uh, harlotry, if you will, that's compared to false religion Listen, God said, the Bible says that illicit, immoral, immoral sexual activity defiles the body and the soul. So just like in a physical sense where, where, where being impure and unchaste defiles the body and soul, so will false religion. It defiles a person, defiles a soul, and ultimately, listen, ultimately leads to destruction. And Satan, that's exactly what he wants. And Antichrist is his man, and that's exactly what he wants. So this picture that, that God draws here, if you will, that the angel says to, to John and says, hey, we see this harlot sitting on many waters. That's a very apt analogy, very appropriate description that God gives here. Now, you might say, well, what does it mean that she's sitting on, uh, on the many waters? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess what it is. Look down very quickly in verse 15. 
same chapter, verse 15, the angel gives the interpretation. Then he said to me, the angel said to John, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Everybody see that? So get the picture here. Here's this harlot, and she's sitting on or ruling over or influencing many peoples, multitudes, nations, tongues. In other words, we clearly see that Antichrist has used this false religious system to draw the world together, to unite them, to follow him. And notice that the influence of false religion is intoxicating. You see the term used there? It's intoxicating. It, it, it mesmerizes people. It brings them in in their hearts, their minds, in a fervor. In other words, it gives them a, a passion. You say, does it really affect people that way? Well, here's a little experiment for you. Walk into work tomorrow and stand in the middle of the room and go, man, I want to tell everybody about Jesus. See what happens. People get, get fervor, don't they? They get passionate. You know, I'll tell you another thing I've noticed about, about false religion and people who reject God and those who just have in their heart reject God. You can't have a civil conversation because anger comes immediately. I mean, and, so, and I've, I've done this before. Uh, it's, uh, and I have to ask God to help me because sometimes I start messing with them because I just can't help it. You know, you're having a conversation and you're talking about God and they get angry and their voice starts getting louder and they start getting animated. And at some point, I'll just look at them and go, what are you mad about? And then they don't know what to say because they don't know why they're mad. They just know they're mad. Why? Because God makes it, God draws a line in the sand. You understand? And you either stand on one side of the line or you're standing on the other. And people don't like that. Have you noticed that our generation today don't like rules? They don't like rules. They don't like standards. They don't like God to say, hey, this is how it is. This is right and this is wrong. Nobody likes that anymore. So people get angry about that. Well, the Antichrist and this false system is going to make people feel good. They're going to come. They're going to have a fervor about it. They're going to think, man, that's the way. And listen, this is true today. There are many who say, if you don't think the way I think, we don't like you. If you don't think the way I think, you're wrong. Well, my question is, who made you the judge of all that's right? I mean, come on. During the, during the tribulation, Antichrist is going to capitalize on this. So what I'm, what I'm encouraging you with is this. Do you see that in society today that God's prepping the way? That the way is becoming ready for all that God says is going to happen is going to happen. So don't be upset about it, all right? Just trust God. Now, the description of the harlot continues in verses 3 to 6. This is pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? I mean, notice what God's saying here. Look at verses 3, 6. John says, So the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5, and on her forehead, a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. The angel comes to John and says, come on, let me show you some more. So he takes John in the spirit, if you will, out in the wilderness. And he, and he sees this harlot now not sitting on just the waters, which are the multitudes, the people that it, that's false religion influences, 
but she's riding on the beast. Well, we know what this beast is. And remember, I told you, when you're understanding the Bible, the Bible's the best interpreter of itself. Back in chapter 13, verse 1, we saw a description of the Antichrist as the beast. And guess what? He was described exactly like this, the heads and everything. So what is it saying to us here? It's saying that this false religion is going to ride on the power and the influence of the Antichrist. And that, and that her authority or the authority of this false religion, its ability to influence is going to be enabled by the Antichrist and his kingdom. Meaning it's going to be him connected. Remember, the Antichrist is going to have what's called a false prophet who's going to be his religious leader, who's going to lead the world in this false religion up to a point. Now listen very carefully right here. We'll see it in just a moment when we get to it, but I want to share this with you right now. I believe that at the halfway point of the tribulation, Antichrist is going to turn against the false religious system and destroy it. And here's why I'm going to say that, because later it's going to tell us that God is going to lead these kings and Antichrist to destroy the false religion, the harlot. But the reason he's going to do that is because he doesn't all of a sudden get saved. The reason he's going to do that is because at the halfway point of the tribulation, the Bible tells us he's going to break his covenant with Israel. He's going to reveal himself for the wicked man that he is, and he's going to tell the world they have to worship him. He's going to declare himself to be God. And at some point, it might be the halfway point or a little after, the Antichrist is going to decide, I don't want any competition. I'm going to be God, and everybody in the world is going to worship me, and if you don't, I'll kill you. That's what's going to happen by the end of the tribulation. But the, but the way for that is going to be made through this false religion as described as the harlot here. Now, notice again the description of this woman, which is all descriptive of this false religion, and just run down through it very quick. Look at her dress. She's dressed uh, in the way to draw attention to herself again. She's adorned with purple and scarlet, which demonstrates uh, 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 money and influence and attractiveness. Again, all part and parcel to, uh, to false religion. She has a drink in her hand, an intoxicating drink. Uh, and always when you, when you see immorality and you see it in the Bible and you see it described, it's always connected with some kind of intoxicating drink which, which removes inhibitions and lowers moral consciousness. False religion does that. It, it, it intoxicates people and draws them into things they might not otherwise be drawn into. And then I wrote down four things in comparison, and we already talked about these a little bit in relation to, to false religion today. False religion is always attractive outwardly, not so much inwardly. It's always beautiful on the outside. It always looks very interesting, but not so much on the inside. And you, maybe you've noticed this, but there are, there are groups of religious people, particularly in the United States, who are perpetually moving from one thing to the next. Perpetually moving from this new and exciting thing to this new and exciting thing, and then this new and exciting thing. And some Christians get caught up in that. Attractive on the outside, but really empty on the inside. As we said earlier, this false religious system will appeal to the flesh. People will see her beauty and they'll say, man, I want, I want that. I want to have that lifestyle. What does false religion appeal to today? Man, we'll give you the lifestyle. I have, I, I told you, I listen to preaching all the time. I listen to some, I listen to a lot of good preaching, but sometimes I'll, I'll turn on the TV or the radio just to listen to some stuff that isn't so good. And I have heard preachers say, look, man, you come to God, he don't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to have financial struggles. God doesn't want your business to fail. God don't want this and God don't want that. And I'm thinking, where's the verse in 
chapter and verse for that, brother, because it ain't in there. I'm not even sure I could call him brother, but in any case, it ain't in there. Listen, that's the kind of stuff that people want, and that's what false religion offers. Look, you come to God today, and by the way, put your money in the plate, and God will give you everything you want. You come to God today, put your money in the place so we can buy our new jet and our new this and our new that, and man, God will give you everything you want. When I was a kid, I used to watch them fellows on TV. Don't have them on there so much anymore. They'd have the handkerchief. They said, man, we're going to bless this handkerchief, and if you send in your money, if you send in $50, God will give you $100. You ever hear that? I mean, I used to hear that stuff all the time. As a kid, I'm thinking, man, that's a good deal. Send in $50, and God will give you $100, right? But then when I got older, I got to thinking, well, if that's how it works, why don't you put your $50 in and let God give you $100? And, uh, you know, then, then, then we'll watch. Listen, false religion works that way. It appeals, to people's, it appeals to people's flesh, listen, for the here and now. For the here and now. Is that what we find in the Bible? That's not what we find in the Bible. Listen, you know what we find in the Bible? God is not so concerned about us tiptoeing through the tulips in this life as he is about us doing what he called us to do, being faithful. Listen, listen, here's the hard part. Being faithful in the good and the bad times. Being faithful whether he allows life to be difficult or he makes it easy. Being faithful whether or not he calls us to be a missionary on a foreign field where you got to give up everything in life like we've met people here who do that and answer the call of God. It is, it is in this life that we invest in obedience and the souls of men and women and sharing the gospel that the reward is then in heaven. It's not here, okay? And God promises us, listen to me, that, that I have not seen or heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. But false religion is false, such as this woman, this harlot, okay, promising here and now. Now notice this. She is intoxicated, and so are her followers with the blood of the saints. You see that? What does that mean? It means those dear saints in the tribulation, those people who come to Jesus and get saved in tribulation, they're gonna, that false religion is going to hunt them down and kill every one of them they can. They, they're going to slaughter them. Multitudes, remember, under the altar in chapter 5, all the souls of the martyred saints from the tribulation are there crying out to God for justice because of this. This false religious system under the leadership of the Antichrist, they're going to greatly, per listen, persecution in the tribulation will be greater than any time in human history. What's the warning to us today? If you're not saved, you're watching online, you're not saved. You're here and you're not saved. You do not want to go into the tribulation. You don't want the rapture to take place and you have to live in this period of time. Because even if you come to Jesus in this period of time, it's probably going to cost you your life. Now's the time to get saved and be raptured. Now, you might say, well, pastor, how do you know, you know, how do you know all that's the right interpretation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 7, he starts explaining it. See, isn't God good? Look at verse 7. The angel said to me, why did you marvel? In other words, John just said, man, I saw this vision and I was amazed. I saw this vision and I was, I was just impressed. He said, I didn't sure I understood it all. Well, look what the angel says in verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Now here's the explanation. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Perdition is judgment, eternal judgment. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel 
whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundations of the world, when they see the beast uh, that was and is not and yet is, verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. In other words, here's, here's how you understand. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. He's going to judgment. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received uh, no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Get all that? Okay. we got ten minutes. I'm going to help you right here. Ready? I'm going to give you the 40,000-foot one, okay? All right, let's do it one step at a time. The beast in verse 8. The beast is Antichrist, right? Go back to chapter 13, verse 1. Not making it up. It's already explained. He's the beast with the, with the seven heads and the ten horns. So we know who he is, right? He's Satan's man. He's going to be of great influence, intellect, okay? But now notice this. It says of him, and we know it's him because it says he was, he is not, and he will ascend, okay? Now, what does that mean? We know it's him, so we know we're talking about him. But if you remember back in chapter 13 also, in chapter 13, verse 3, in fact, when he comes to power, he's going to suffer some wound unto death. Remember that? He's, he's going to have this thing happen to him, and the world's going to go, he's dead. He couldn't survive that, whatever, whatever, how, whatever it is. You know, he gets blown up, somebody shoots, whatever. Gets a disease, dies. But then all of a sudden, he's going to be okay, right? He's gonna, it's going to look like a resurrection. It's going to look like a miracle. And the world's going to flock to him. The world's going to go. As a matter of fact, it says in chapter 13 that the world's going to go, who can resist him? In other words, and what is Satan doing with that? Think about it now. We talked about it in chapter 13. Satan is a copycat. He always has. Satan has always tried to copy everything God's doing. What was the greatest thing God did? Sent his son, he died on the cross, paid for our sin, they put him in a tomb, and three days later, what did Jesus do? Came out of the tomb. So what does Satan do? Satan goes, man, we got to copy that. Satan, we got to do that. We got we to we try to do what God did so we can be like God, because that's what Satan's always wanted to do, right? So Satan has his man. He looks like he dies. The world says he's dead. All of a sudden, boom, he's alive. Listen, I don't believe Satan has the power to really resurrect anybody. God, God is the source of all life. However, Satan is a master deceiver. So however he does this, it looks like a resurrection. He's talking about the Antichrist here, who is this beast, who, who was, who wasn't, and then who ascends. So he had this fake resurrection. Now, he's, he's uh, uh, sitting, if you will, on these seven mountains. Now, if you read commentaries, and I encourage you to do that, there's uh, mountains of pages in ink, gallons of ink, written on what these mountains are. I've shared with you about biblical exegesis. You've you got to look for the clear explanation that's in Scripture and not create stuff. I believe very clearly that these seven mountains that he sits on are the kingdoms, the, the, the previous kingdoms, if you will, the previous world empires that are the amalgamation of his empire. You say, well, why do you think that's the right interpretation? Because in Daniel, and in Ezekiel, especially in Daniel, 
it says that this final world empire will be a resurrection of the old Roman empire. And all the Roman empire was built on all the kingdoms before it. And his kingdom is the final form of the kingdom. So it just makes sense. And things that make sense, I like, okay? So you don't have to try to invent stuff. So here's what I'm saying to you. I believe these seven kingdoms, of which the Bible says right here, he's the eighth also. So he's the seventh and the eighth. Watch this. You ready? Can I help you right here? What are the kingdoms in the Bible? Now, you said there were other world empires. No, but here are the world empires the Bible specifically speaks to that God used to bring about everything that he's been doing. The first one was Egypt. Okay? Israel was in Egypt, right? We know all about Egypt, the plagues and the whole dealing. Well, they go to the land, and then, then God begins to judge his people. Who was the next kingdom that was instrumental in God's world empire was the Assyrians. They destroyed the northern ten tribes, carried them away. And after them came the Babylonians who destroyed Jerusalem in 586 and carried them away. Okay? Then it was the Persians, the Medo-Persians, who allowed Israel to go back. Then after the Persians were the Greeks. And then you got the, the uh, Romans. You say, well, that's six. Good. We count them. The final form of the Roman Empire is under the Antichrist. That's seven. And by the way, it just said right here, he's also the eight. So he died, his kingdom ended. Ooh, but look, he resurrected. So now he's the eight. This doesn't have to be complicated. So his kingdom is resting on these seven. Now listen, here's some interpretations you'll see, and I'm going fast. People say, well, you know, Rome's surrounded by all these mountains, so it must be Rome. Uh, we're not talking about Rome here, okay? It'll, it'll, it, you'll see interpretations that will identify these mountains as people, as other world leaders. Well, kingdoms had, had leaders, but we're not talking about one specific leader. We're talking about the kingdoms, okay? So I believe it's those kingdoms in succession. You say, well, we got ten horns. What are, the, what are these ten horns? Well, now, those ten horns, horns in the Bible always represent power and rulership and authority. And it usually represents a king or some potentate, some monarch. The Antichrist during the tribulation is going to be the head dictator of the world. But under him will be all these leaders of the nations, particularly in Europe. And all of those kings or presidents or potentates will throw in their lot with him, and there'll be ten of them. And some of them will go, and some of them will come, and some of them will probably get killed, and that's why some are, and some aren't, and some are here. But it says at the end, all of these leaders of these ten give their authority to the Antichrist. What does that mean? Hey, our military is your military. Our economy is your economy. Our, you know, we... You're, we're part of your empire. We're part of who you are. And so the Antichrist has built his kingdom on the amalgamation of all these empires that have come before, particularly the final form of the Roman Empire, and all of these world leaders at the time are with them, and he's powerful. That's the picture. But the angel said twice, listen to me, the angel said twice, listen, this guy's going into perdition. So even Joe, John's seeing it, and John might be going, oh my goodness, who can... This guy's going to rule the world. And the angel goes, yeah, but don't worry about him because he's going to be judged. Don't worry about him. He's going in the lake of fire. And then the angel said one last thing, very interesting. He said, all the people who will be deceived by the Antichrist, all the people who will be deceived to follow his kingdom are those whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? I mean, that's something you want to make circle. You know? All the people whose names aren't in the Lamb's Book of Life. What does that mean? Make sure your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Get saved. Come to Jesus. Confess your sin. Ask him to save you today. Be in the book. Get your name written down. Be a child of the king. Be adopted into the family. And hey, if you'll do that today, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Because we'll be up in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, hanging out with Jesus. 
I think in heaven there'll be a big table. I'm not sure. We'll all sit around this big table, you know, hanging out with Jesus, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, all this stuff's going on on earth. And then there'll be some point when, when Jesus will go, okay, get your stuff. It's time to go. And we're going to come back with him at the Battle of Armageddon. But don't worry, you're not going to have to fight. You just come back with him in your white robes and, and all that stuff. And Jesus will speak the word and they'll all die and then we'll rule with him. Sound like a plan? Well, it's a good plan because it's God's plan. That's what he says he's going to do. But the point is, make sure your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't, don't get caught unawares, okay? Very quickly, let me read verse, verses 14 to 18, make a couple of comments, and we'll close. In the end, this false religion is going to be destroyed. And, he, and the angel describes it right here. Look at verse 14. These, meaning the Antichrist and the ten horns, the people who are with him, will make war with the Lamb. Okay? They're going to fight Jesus. And the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Let me pause right there. These, the Antichrist and his, and his military power, his, his, his power on earth, at the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to bring them all there. Armies from the east are going to come. Remember last week, Euphrates River is going to be dried up. They're all going to march over there. Jesus is going to come when they all get there. They're going to fight against Jesus, but it's not going to be much of a fight. They're all going to be there. They're going to see Jesus. It says right here that we who are with him, okay, are called chosen and faithful. We're his chosen. We're his redeemed. Jesus is going to speak, and they're all going to die. That's, that's the extent of the battle. Not going to really be a fight. Matter of fact, the Bible says the sword is in his mouth. He's going to speak. They're all going to die, and the battle's going to be over. Going to be, going to be a complete loss for them, victory for Jesus. Now look at verse 15. Then he said to me, the angel said, the waters which you saw, we read that earlier, were the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and tongues, verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. So these, these people, these nations are going to turn against this false religion and make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be one of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, which goes all the way back to Babylon and the influence of false religion all the way back from Nimrod. So here's the closing thoughts. God has already determined that all false religion in the world is going to culminate in the, in the false religion of the tribulation, and God is going to destroy it once and for all. He's going to put an end to it. In fact, he's going to wipe out all those who resist him, all false religion, and he's even going to use Antichrist to do it, which is pretty impressive. God's going to use that wicked man to accomplish his purposes, and he don't even know God's going to do it. Isn't that neat how God does that? Here's the closing thoughts. There's false religion in the world today. Satan is at work today doing all the things he's going to do in the tribulation. He's just going to have freedom to do it more then because the Holy Spirit's going to be removed from the world and there won't be any restraining force. Today, today, we are, listen, we who are saved, the church of Jesus Christ, are the representation of God's kingdom in the world today. It is our job to show the world who Jesus is today. False religion's out there. They're not going to like it. They're going to resist us. Satan's going to do all he can to resist the church, to hurt the church. Listen, you have no idea the things that Satan does to try to destroy churches. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, 
and we keep our eyes on his word, and we love Jesus, and then we love one another because we love Jesus, there's no telling what God could do with us to impact the world for the cross of Christ. Now, here's the deal. You say, Pastor, that is some heavy-duty stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. But the answer is Jesus. If you're here today and you're lost, you say, man, I'm scared of that stuff. Yeah, me too. There's safety in Jesus. Come to Jesus and be saved. Ask Jesus to forgive your sin. Confess your sin to God. Ask Jesus to put your faith in him. Jesus will save your soul today. He'll give you eternal life. He'll, listen, he'll put your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right, right in there. Come to Jesus today. Would you do that? Let's pray. God, thank you for revealing these things to us that will happen in the tribulation. Uh, God, thank you that you save us today. Thank you that we have been delivered from the wrath to come in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the penalty for our sin. All the wrath of God the Father for our sin was poured out on you on the cross. And God, when we trust you as our Savior, Lord, you give us peace. You restore us to a right relationship with the Father. Maybe there's someone here today who's watching online or they're in this place listening, and God, they're lost and they need to be God, might they just pray from their heart and say, oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I've offended you and I am lost. And God, I want to be saved. I trust Jesus Christ. Forgive me and save me right now. God, you'll save anybody who will ask. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can pray with you or help you, I'll be down front here. Open our eyes.